And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. Hello, I am Harmony. I'm Maggie, and welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club. We are reading today a comic book, another comic book, and it is Harley Quinn and Power Girl. And what a trip it was. <laughs> it was a trip indeed. I think Maggie resents the fact that we decided to do so many superheroes in our comic section. <laughs> a little. It's just not my thing. Although this one was funny, at least. It was funny. Okay, so we have some notes here for this acid trip of a comic. So for Mags and for listeners, before we delve into this comic further, I have some background information that I didn't know going into it. So Power Girl is actually Kara from Supergirl. Some of you may watch the Supergirl CW show. I know I do. It's fantastic. So she is like a parallel universe version of Kara. She comes from a different Earth. And she is like the same kind of general backstory, except when she came to her Earth, she came a little bit later and has therefore developed a little bit of a different personality. Whereas the Kara, the the Supergirl that we know from the comics and from the other media in which she is presented in is kind of bubbly and girly um, and a little bit childlike sometimes. Power Girl is very mature and tough and kind of She's not about that bubbly life. And I also wanted to give you all a background on Harley Quinn. So Harley Quinn is a big media figure right now. And she came from a TV show that happened when Maggie and I were kids. It was called Batman something something. And she was the Joker's girlfriend. They met when she was the Joker's psychologist when he was imprisoned, I guess, or locked up in Arkham Hospital. And they fell in love. And Harley has this really obsessive interest, romantic interest in the Joker that continues for quite a while. And in most of her comic depictions, because she was such a popular character, she continues to like be with the Joker and then break up with the Joker and she'll become a part of like different girl gangs and then she'll betray the girl gangs and go ahead and go back to the Joker and like rescue him, even though he's abusive. (laughs) But in recent years, kind of around 2011, Harley Quinn got a comic makeover, as you do when you get different comic writers in. And in 2013, actually, Amanda Connor took over and she like really revamped Harley Quinn. So Harley Quinn then became less a part of the Joker's universe or the Batman universe. And the tones of her comics started becoming more funny um, silly, weird, kind of acid trippy, I guess, like this comic we read today. And that is like the Harley Quinn that is being portrayed now, uh, in Suicide Squad and also in Birds of Prey, like in the larger media in the movies. So I don't know. That's how I was introduced to Harley Quinn. I read the Harley Gang comics 
and she's a funny character and I really like her. Yeah. And this this set of six comics specifically answers a joke that had been set up in a different comic where Harley Quinn and Power Girl are sent off to a different universe. Stuff kind of happens off screen. And then when they come back, Power Girl is in a wedding dress. So this series essentially of six comics initially is sort of a closed story that addresses what happened. But I will say that personally, my only other interaction with Harley Quinn has been the fact that I saw Suicide Squad once when it initially came out. So like, I really don't have a ton of comparison, except for the fact that I know, generally speaking, that she was, you know, intensely abused by the Joker. And that was partially the cause of a lot of her more erratic behavior. But that's really the the entire basis I have of Harley Quinn. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she has, it's implied apparently in the comic universe that there's a psychotic break that coincides with the Joker. So like she becomes obsessed with the Joker, but she's like willingly obsessed. It's not, it is like a normal domestic abuse relationship in which she keeps going back to him. But it also is different in that like she genuinely cracks a little and even in these depictions like even though she has empowered herself and is like far away from the joker she still isn't the original person she was before she became harley quinn well yeah the joker has implanted a virus in her head that causes her to like become the joker for a second here <laughs> yeah so let's talk about power girl and harley quinn so i think harley quinn's fascinating as a character because To me, in this depiction of her, in which she is far away from the Joker, in in the current depictions of her, not necessarily Suicide Squad, but like in Birds of Prey, for instance, in which she's like doing her own thing and trying to help people and not just a sex object, she kind of comes across to me as like the ultimate bad feminist because she is still... She is still heavily sexualized and some of that's like her own doing. She's still a little wacky and still has like you know fantasies about the joker for instance and like in this comic she has some wacky ideas about love that isn't necessarily like feminist uh approved but she's also like her own person and i think a character like harley quinn somebody who has been so incredibly abused her entire life and who's like still willing to be her messy like crazy self is really empowering for people and I really appreciate that depiction so I don't know what do you think about that Maggie about the idea of Harley Quinn being a bad feminist yeah no I hadn't thought of it like that myself but I really can see that point of view and I do think that this version of Harley Quinn is empowering because she is so intensely herself and she is crass and she is goofy in a lot of ways and she's also intensely powerful and still frankly very violent in a lot of ways and she's also still really self-serving in a lot of ways and I think that all of that put together makes her feel like a very um authentic character which is something that I usually struggle with in comics and graphic novels and frankly that I struggled with with Power Girl in this graphic novel but with Harley Quinn I found her to be very authentic and in a weird way kind of relatable especially the goofier side of her so I could I could agree I think ultimately with the with the designation of that she's she's a quote-unquote bad feminist (laughs) 
Okay. You had a question that kind of coincides with one of my questions about why the language in this comic is so sexualized. And it is really, really sexualized. And like, they're in some sort of weird 70s porn planet for the majority of the comic. Yeah, it's called Lust Ox. Yeah, and I think there's like, weird stuff like in which Harley is kind of sexualizing Power Girl, and they're both very like, scantily clad. And the way I phrased that question was... um yeah, how do we feel about that? How do we feel about, like, the explicitness? This isn't something we've seen necessarily in the other superhero comics we've encountered so far. Yeah, it almost felt very Saga-esque to me, but in a more lighthearted way. Yeah, me um, Because a lot of the sexualized stuff in Saga was really dark, but this is, even though it's intentionally intensely sexualized, it's not... Um, necess- parts of it are in a negative way, but not all of it is... Honestly, it made me kind of uncomfortable the first read through. I think just because I wasn't expecting it. I didn't really know what to expect going into this. But like my feeling of what the fuck did I just read the first time meant that I had to go back and like reread this before we started talking about it. And the second time I found it really funny and actually kind of clever, especially with the fourth wall breaking. And I appreciated especially the fact that Power Girl and Harley Quinn were constantly calling out all of the weird sexist stuff, even in the points where Harley Quinn was, like, kind of into certain aspects of it. Like, they were really actively calling out the fact that they were in a place that was really sexist and really weird and really strange, but they kind of just had to roll with it. And so... I think that aspect, and some of it was fourth wall breaking, which we'll get to, and some of it wasn't, made it a a more interesting commentary than just kind of being crude for the sake of being crude, for me at least. Yeah, I wasn't sure what to think about it too, because we're trying to read it from a feminist lens, but I did appreciate that they always called it out. And I do appreciate too that this is like, this is a comic with females in the room at least, and it's like headed by Amanda Connor, who is a woman. Um, And they are over-sexualized, our two main characters, but I don't think that always has to be a bad thing. And I think it kind of gets more into this, like, bad feminist vibe I get from this comic. Like, I don't... I don't know. They, I, I appreciate that they called it out, because you can do bad things as long as we talk about it, in my opinion. And I just... Yeah, I don't know. It felt like... Some of it felt a little bit, like, almost female gazy, which I also appreciated. And I think it all kind of played into the larger theme of camp that runs throughout this comic. And... I don't know how to analyze camp because it's not it's not always like it's not a medium I consume a lot and it is just like so out there and in your face that I don't know and it is so absurd too that like it's really hard to get to a direct meaning behind it but I felt like it could be positive how did you feel about the place of camp in this comic I want to go back and address something that you said really fast before I answer that question though Mm -hmm. which is And I think it builds on your point. It's worth it to say that, and I'll link the source that I used to talk about this other comic whose name that I can't remember right now below, but Harley Quinn specifically designed her and Power Girl's outfits, and she specifically added that cutout. So I just wanted to put that out there because I think it, I think it assists with your point about the whole female gaze thing. Um, 
And Harley Quinn is kind of canonically bi, and I feel like she has some sexual tension between Power Girl as well. Sorry. Yeah, I do too. I also didn't really know what to make of the camp in this comic, and I think it was for similar reasons as you, is that it's not a medium I have a lot of experience with, and I think that's part of the reason why I had such a rough ride the first time that I read it. But I think that the absurdist nature of it really, I think it kind of emphasized the fact that, like, the persistent sexism of of it is also absurdist. Like, it's also crazy to a certain extent to think that we're still dealing with, for example, men who have similar thoughts and feelings to things that Vartex does, which is, like, very antiquated they joke and call him like your very typical like 1970s hero and like that really is who he is to a t so i thought that that use of camp helped to emphasize that aspect of it but i don't know if i have any sort of deeper analysis besides x being absurd emphasizes the fact that y is also absurd even though we don't usually talk about it in that way um Okay, well, let's talk about Vartex as a character, because he existed before, um, he existed in other Power Girl comics and and other, like, Superman comics, I guess, and he apparently is based off of the actor Sean Connery, and I didn't do my research, so I don't even, like, know who the fuck that is, other than the name. It was, he's he's based off a character that Sean Connery played in, like, a lesser-known superhero movie called, like, Dark Tex or something. Oh, okay. But who, like, is Sean Connery this weird 70s, like, guy that is supposed to be really attractive? I don't think so. I think it was more based off the character that he was playing in that movie. Oh, okay. Okay. Who is this weird 70s guy, we think? From what I gathered, yes. (laughs) With the porn stash. With the porn stash. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um... Let's go then and talk about Vartox's world, because in some ways it does sound a little bit more enlightened, kind of, in the fact that, here we go. Oh, wait, let me find it. Do, 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 text example. The whole concept was so weird. Uh, to, to uh, I guess, elaborate on what Harmony was talking about, though, um, at the end of this whole six like six episode situation they end up on vartox's world because power girl has to like pretend to marry him and when she arrives she discovers that he's created like a robot version of her and has married her and like they have this whole family and power girl doesn't remember any of this because she has amnesia which is part of the reason her and harley quinn are like a pair at all right now it's because power girl has no idea who she is yes But I was actually referring to the world that they originally, the 70s porn world, where they all worship Vartox. Yeah, because that world, the robot world, is not empowering at all. (laughs) No, the I was, that's why I was confused. I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, no, because Harley asks for weapons. Okay, he says, we're all about art, music, and universal awareness. We ceased being warlike and brutal 3,014 years ago, because they don't have any weapons on this planet. Much to Harley's dismay. Yes, yeah, she may, she has to make do with other with other objects. 
Yes. And the whole storyline with this weird 70s sex planet is that like they have been captured by these weird puritanical aliens and <laughs> the weird puritanical aliens are like really anti-sex at all. So like Harley Quinn and Power Girl appear and they call them prostitutes. And there's a bunch of weird stuff like robots threatening to sew genitals together and rep- repressed sexuality on this hypersexual planet that's all about like free love. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we think of the free love planet though? <laughs> <laughs> There's just so many layers of shit happening here. I think that there were parts of it that were really empowering and then parts of it that still seemed very, like, almost similar to how we are today, where it's like, you kind of say you're woke, um, but, you know, the work is kind of ever ever going. Like, even just with the ex-girlfriend squad, uh, or, I'm sorry, the ex-girlfriend force, <laughs> like, there's a dude in it. And yeah. he's continually pissed off that they call themselves the ex-girlfriend force because he's not a female and he doesn't identify that way. Yeah. So I thought that was such a smart little way to just kind of like poke holes in this idea of utopia in general, you know? Like, yeah. I agree that the, it sounds like in some ways the the free love world is kind of empowered and maybe is more enlightened, but they, it's not perfect either, you know? Yeah. And to be fair, like, because they don't have weapons, that's why the Puritans are able to enslave them. Yeah, so let's talk about the ex-girlfriend force then, because you brought that up. (laughs) I have to. Part of me, so yeah, 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 Bartox is apparently attractive to every woman in the universe except for Power Girl. And only Power Girl after she has amnesia, because apparently Power Girl used to bone him and you know, repopulated this weird sex planet of theirs. (laughs) And he has a whole squad of superheroes um, that call themselves the ex-girlfriend force. And one of them does happen to be a man, which I thought was really cool because I was like, yay, like we're finally reading a comic with gay characters Um, or bi characters, like queer characters. That's cool. We don't get that every day, unfortunately. But yeah, they go and they, they are constantly trying to save Vartox and they put Vartox above all else. Like there's a point in time in which Harley Quinn needs their help and they're like, nah, it's fine. She has to understand that Vartox is the main objective. So it's kind of like he has this harem of mostly women that like worship him and that's really uncomfortable, but it also is campy. So that helps with the discomfort, I feel. But I would also like to read this in the way that like, they're maintaining a positive relationship with their ex, and they all seem to accept. I mean, there's, like, a little bit of pushback on Power Girl, because I guess that's the woman that he's really in love with. But they all, like, accept that he's in love with Power Girl, and then, like, form bonds together. Which I think could be kind of empowering. Because they're not, there's not a lot of, like, girl-on-girl hate here. No, I think, though, that there is a little bit of jealousy that needs to be acknowledged between the XGF and Power Girl. But I I kind of just agree with everything that you just said. It's like, it's weirdly funny. There are some positive aspects of the, even though it's minimal, at least canon, like, queer representation there. They're all friends. 
I think really what makes it just feel the reason that I think that I ultimately didn't really particularly like that part of the story is the worship relationship that they have with him. I'm like, well, they have a positive relationship with their ex. Sure, they're also <laughs> so obsessed with him that they're not moving on to any anyone or anything else, you know? Yeah. And then also reinforcing this tr- truly ridiculous and extraordinarily, like, narcissistic ego that Vartox already has and he doesn't need more help with. <laughs> so it's like... At the end of the day, I don't think it was, like, hugely problematic or anything. But I think for me it would have been a better story if the XGF didn't worship him that way. Yeah. Um, There were parts of it where they kind of treated him a little bit like he was a bumbling idiot who just needed help. And I think that that would have been a funnier angle to have taken the entire time personally it's just like this group of people who are like all right like i guess we're just gonna have to save this motherfucker you know like yeah like oh gosh he's gotten himself in trouble again mm-hmm. yeah i could see that i don't know i think part of i read this comic right after um I was sent a quiz all about kinks. And so I've kind of been in this mindset. Maggie's laughing at me. Um, I've kind of been in this mindset of thinking back to like why we as people or women or feminists even like certain things. And like personally, I've kind of alluded on the podcast before that sometimes like my sexuality doesn't always match my feminist ideals, which I think is a problem that a lot of women have. And I don't know, this comic just kind of brought it back to me. And that quiz kind of brought it back to me too, because I was like doing the quiz and I was like, oh, my sexuality has actually changed because I used to be in a kind of toxic relationship in which I wasn't like an equal partner. And this comic like plays with those same power dynamics i feel yeah in which like bdsm and other kinks play with in which they're and it's hypersexualized, so it's hard to separate these two things in my mind because this is a hypersexualized comic but it's all about power dynamics and it's not always super empowering but it is told in part through a female lens so looking at the character of harley quinn and then like looking at the comic as a whole i'm kind of trying to like reconcile these different attractions to like misogyny even or like unequal power dynamics that we that are still present in our society and are still present for everyday women and even women who call themselves feminists when they're like dating and you know even queer people it's present in I I know like there are certain gender roles and power dynamics that we like want to adhere to even though we know that we shouldn't yeah so I don't know. What do you have any thoughts on that, Mags? <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I do understand what you're saying. And I see that in this comic. I just don't know if I necessarily agree that it was strongly commented on. Mm-hmm. I think just because so much of it plays with this weird ass relationship happening between Vartox and Power Girl and Power Girl is so not into this like gender dynamic that he's trying to create between the two of them Yes, that like it seems to 
I think to me, it acknowledges that point that you were making about this sometimes inherent desire to like adhere to certain aspects of gender roles, whether as part of kink or other parts of relationships, even if the logical part of you is like, wait, like we shouldn't be doing this. There's no reason for this to be happening. Like this is just patterns that we've fallen into as society. Mm -hmm. But like the majority of that is then commenting on the fact that Power Girl is essentially like, fuck this. Like (laughs) all of this is what you want, Vartox, and not what I want. Um, So I think that that's a part of it that I did find to be a slightly more empowering take on that is that like Power Girl recognizes all of this and just... I don't want to say doesn't care, but like she just resists it the whole time, you know, like, and she's pissed off about it. Which I think is kind of necessary when we're looking at a comic like this, because Harley Quinn is not pissed off about it, because that's like Harley Quinn's character is reconciling that Harley Quinn's current iteration, I would say, in which she is more empowered, is like reconciling those two things. But yeah, I do think it's important that Power Girl is consistently like, I'm not cool with this, even though we have some weird non-consent things where she's like forced into a marriage ceremony with Vartox. I think it's good that we have her as our straight man to be like, I'm not attracted to any of this. But I also think it's in a way, even though this is a silly comic, and so it's not probably trying to talk about deep philosophy, important to have Harley Quinn there who we know has been in problematic, toxic relationships, being like, I think this is really cute and great. Because I think that we can have those feelings and still have, like, some sort of logic about it as well. Yeah. And that's where the line and boundaries should always be. Like, it's okay to feel. And then to have a straight man, part of yourself being like, I feel this, but is this good for me? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I will say even though this was a much more lighthearted comic, um, there really are moments where Harley Quinn is actively reconciling all of this within herself, Mm -hmm. especially when she's talking to Vartox. And I don't know if I necessarily um, agree with all of the conclusions that she comes up with, but I think it does demonstrate some growth, especially when she's talking about the ability of having the power to leave a negative relationship and a toxic relationship and feeling like you don't need that. Like for her, that was clearly, I mean, even as someone who barely knows anything about Harley Quinn, I know that that was such like a a massive part of her character arc was breaking away from the Joker. And so I think that have, I agree with you that having both of those points of view was really important. And I also think it was important that this story ended up being power girls story for the most part yeah um and that power girls conclusions are the ones that we end up going with like harley quinn makes power makes herself power girls sidekick because i think there's a part of harley that knows that she's not ready to go out there and be like the heroine right like she's not ready for that but she is ready to take more heroic actions and I, i think it's also important to know when even if you've gone through something horrible or not, like when in life you need help and the guidance of others and like the friends around you. And I think that that's another aspect of Harley's character that I really appreciated in this comic is her ability to be like, okay, like this is where I'm at. And like, this is my friend kind of (laughs) questionable. I'm going to make myself her friend. um, And then I'm going to learn from her. Cause like, I need that right now. Oh, that's beautiful. Miss Maggie. Wow. Yeah, if only she hadn't totally tricked Power Girl 
it, because she can't remember everything. That's weird and non-consenty. Can we talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that? I guess my only question is, how much was that actually talked about in this comic book? So it wasn't, and I didn't know during, like, when I first started reading the comic, I had to go and, like, look it up and figure it out. I mean, I kind of knew because on the back, which isn't something that I sent Maggie, um, <laughs> sorry, Mags, on the back it right. says that there is amnesia or something, and Harley Quinn has... I don't know. It doesn't even say that. I don't know. I had to look it up, is my point. They they mention it, I think, once in the novel, because Vartox starts... Vartox says Kara's real name, and Harley panics because Harley had told her that her name was, like, Becky or something like that. Betty. But that's the only... Betty. Yeah, that's <laughs> the only, like, reference to the setup here. Mm-hmm. But the setup is fucked up. <laughs> yeah, so all I know is that she got amnesia, Power Girl, and Harley Quinn was like, I'm going to be her sidekick. And so I guess that she told Power Girl that Power Girl's name was Betty and, uh, you know, that she was her sidekick. And then I guess at the end, not in this comic, but as their adventure ends, Power Girl remembers that she's Power Girl and then, like, leaves Harley Quinn on the Eiffel Tower or something. Yeah, so... I did a little bit. I ended up reading most of the first comic that sets all of this up because I was really confused on, like, what was happening in this. And I just needed a little bit more context than the recap at the beginning gave. So Harley does legitimately rescue Power Girl. Like, um, Power Girl has crash-landed essentially on Earth and is in danger. So Harley brings her back to her apartment and sort of helps to nurse her back to health a little bit. Um, although it's Harley, so it's not, like, great nursing. That's when she redesigns new costumes for themselves, etc. But, yeah, after that, essentially what happens is, like, she wakes up, she doesn't know who she is, and Harley convinces her that she's her sidekick, etc. All of this happens. But then at the end, Power Girl, when they're having that argument, says you better be able to justify this. Like, so Harley sits there and tries to tell her side of the story. And essentially part of what comes out of it is just like, I didn't really know any other way to make you like me. Um, That was at least part of what I got out of it. So like, it's really, it's both intensely fucked up and also really sad at like simultaneously. And I think it showcases a little bit how, not to say that that makes this okay by any means, but I appreciate the showcase of the kind of psychological hoops that Harley is still going through, even as she's, like, figuring out who she is now and, like, um, and all of that. But it does make everything in here, like, you know, it rings a little false, right? Because, like, Power Girl doesn't know the truth about anything and it makes me feel both angry and like bittersweet for Harley a little if that makes sense yeah I could see that you were saying earlier this isn't really to what we were just talking about but you were saying earlier that Power Girl resonated with you or became Power Girl was less authentic of a character for you why was that I think that she just felt a little bit more like 
traditional superhero tropey to me, which is fine and not a bad thing. But Harley to me just like felt very unique and authentically herself, whereas Power Girl felt very like okay, like we're heroines, so this is what we're doing, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't bad writing, I don't think. I think it's also just, I've discovered over this past month that, like, superheroes, like, tropes aren't particularly Your thing. my thing. So I don't think it was because Power Girl was, like, poorly written. I just think that I appreciated the breath of fresh air that Harley seemed to bring to a trope that Power Girl had been falling into. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, yeah. I agree with you. I think that that is correct, and that's one of the reasons I really love Harley Quinn, because even though she's so campy and wild and silly, like, these comics are so campy and wild and silly, I think that she as a character is more complex and continually more complex than other comic book characters I've come across. And I think it's important to have that as a woman. Because I don't think we get a lot of complex characters, especially not anti-heroes. I agree. And I think something else, and again, this isn't against Supergirl or Power Girl, but like, even just in the comics that we were talking about last week, you know, like the original woman comics, like, there are a couple of different personality tropes, right? Like, there's the bubbly girly one, and then mm-hmm. there's the, like, really, like, mature, I'm too tough for this and too tough for you one. And Supergirl and Power Girl managed to be both of those things simultaneously and, like, a play of being, you know, opposites of each other. Mm-hmm. But even talking, even thinking about Wonder Woman, I think of Wonder Woman, and I also think of that really, like, stereotypically, like, She's mature. She's wise beyond her years. She's super tough. Like, she's very sophisticated in a lot of ways. And so I think that that's just why I appreciate Harley, because Harley is absolutely none of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think also her sense of self-preservation is real relatable. (laughs) Like, when when the uh, first, uh, when the head first shows up and she hears what it does... She's like, let's get the fuck out of here. Like, I'm not here to fight this. And there's multiple times during this comic where Power Girl has to be like, no, Harley, like, we're heroes. This is what we do. Yeah. So, like, we have to fight this. But, like, I don't know, man. That shit's tough. And I think (laughs) that there's lots of superheroes that just, like, automatically put themselves into dangerous way for others. And, like, while that's the point of superheroes and really admirable, and I think it makes sense that that's the tack that the majority of them take... I think it is relatable to see someone who's scared, like, really scared openly and does the right thing anyways, even if they're just scared for themselves. Like, it's okay to be scared when you yourself are in danger. I agree. I agree. I think that it's a level of messiness that we don't get uh, with with superheroes and especially with women superheroes. Yeah, there's a pressure, it feels like, to be very put-together all the time (laughs) yeah and that's kind of like why i enjoy i know that this isn't this episode but like we talked about ms marvel a few weeks ago and ms marvel isn't crazy messy but she's still like a messier character and i feel like that to me was more relatable even though things constantly work out for her and that's like the same reason why i'm sure a lot of people myself included enjoyed like the new supergirl show on cw because it's an imperfect character 
And things still work out for her. But yeah, even then, like, Harley Quinn is still a more complex character because she's messier. She's not anyone's moral um, guide necessarily. And then even though she's like has these fun and bubbly elements, there's still so much darkness and sadness going on underneath that. I agree. Having said all of this, though, I will say that culturally I do understand the need and the place for pop culture icons who are really put together and things do work out for them and they fight for good and they're able to just be brave all the time. Like, just because I appreciate that some of the superheroes we've talked about recently don't necessarily fall into that form, I still think that having that form and that mold has, like, a use, especially culturally in a time where things are turbulent and scary. Mm -hmm. Um, It gives you a role model. Yeah, and, and I think that that's why superheroes in general have been so persistent for decades, you know, since, like, the 1920s, the 1930s. So, like, just because I appreciate reading about stuff that I think they're both necessary. You know, I think we we need the form and we also need the characters like Harley, like Miss Marvel, who push a little bit against that form as well. And I think that something that I'd like to see in the future, if I continue looking at more superheroes, um, <laughs> which I Next have no inclination to do right now. But um, if you guys have any recommendations for me about superheroes that maybe feel a little bit more human, a little bit more complex, a little bit more well-rounded, but still hit that like typical superhero form, hit me up because that's something I think I'd like to see. Yeah. Rebel Girls Book Club at gmail.com or just like message us on the Instagram. That's Maggie's domain. Oh yeah, that's true. Ninety nine percent of what you see on there is a is a is a me thing. That is true. Um, do we want to end this episode real fast by talking about the fourth wall breaking and what we thought of that? Yeah, let's talk about the fourth wall breaking. So, what's that point of the fourth wall breaking in the story? You seem to have some interesting things to say about that earlier in the episode. I don't remember what I was saying. <laughs> now I'm sad. I wish I just I wish I just <laughs> talked about it when I was thinking about it. I feel like the fourth wall breaking does a couple of things for me. The first is that it provides some, some of, for me, the funniest moments in this comics is just the authors just commentating on what's happening. But second, it also gives, I think, some more objective and less campy perspective and narration on what's happening. Um, And at times also pokes at like the sexist and absurdist things that are happening, Mm -hmm. especially by offering a brief point of view that is essentially like, yeah, like this is really weird, you know? Yeah. Um, So I think that the fourth wall breaking is actually a really key element of the storytelling in this graphic novel comic book, because uh, without it, I almost feel like there wouldn't be enough reality grounded in it for like any of their points to really hit home and there's actually there is a fair amount of four, fourth wall breaking throughout it but it's not like a super prominent part of the story it's like just enough where you have something to grasp onto hmm. to be like okay i think this is the point they're trying to make because like this is the ridiculous thing that they're pointing out right now and it's enough to sort of propel you to the next time something makes sense 
Yeah. Are you talking about in terms of like ridiculousness? Because there's there's two forms of fourth wall breaking that we get. We get the fourth wall in which one of the authors, usually Chris, comes in and he's like, remember this? Blah, 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 blah. Or yeah. we get Harley Quinn being like, Power Girl's not going to get another comic. Or I'm monologuing because I want to be like Hunter S. Thompson. And then, you know, you get like a weird Hunter S. Thompson whatever it's called las vegas death weird scene (laughs) yeah that was that was a whole other thing i think for me the stuff that was most useful was the author commentating and it wasn't always just the little yellow boxes where um either of the authors you're right usually chris would commentate it was also the headings that they used at the beginning of each scene some of them were very fourth wall breaky and both funny, but also sort of self-critical about what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, most of Harley's fourth wall breaks were just funny, which doesn't yeah. mean that they were like bad or useless or anything. I feel like the word just makes it sound like I think that they were lesser. I just think that their purpose was more to be funny and lighthearted and continue developing Harley's sort of like weird and zany character. All right. Is there anything else we want to talk about? Not about this book. Is it a feminist story? I think so, but not necessarily the first thing I would recommend to someone who was looking for feminist literature. But I think that ultimately it does enough to poke fun at sexism at gender norms and expectations and focuses so heavily on harley's struggle to self-empowerment that for me as well as having you know two superhero female leads the entire time i think that i would ultimately say it's a feminist comic book but like Maybe not in capital letters, you know? Maybe all in, like, hesitant lowercase letters. (laughs) I think I agree with that. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think I agree with that. I think it's not, like, trying to take great strides for feminism or anything like that. It's not, like, a book written specifically to be feminist. But I think when we look at other comic book media, like it does kind of fall under that. And I maintain that Harley Quinn in this current iteration that we have taken her um, is a feminist figure because she's so messy and because she's like actively empowering herself. Like, I, I don't think that there's any way that can't be feminist. And I think that, you know, because we have her as kind of like a semi-feminist figure with Power Girl, who I think would be a pretty typical feminist figure. I don't know. I don't know that much about her then yeah, I think that this could be a feminist story. Yeah, I think so too. I think at the very least, it's definitely not anti-feminist, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> I think that sometimes when we when we talk about that question, and I know we philosophized about that before, so feel free to skip 30 seconds, but sometimes something I struggle with is that a lot of the things we read are actively anti-feminist while also not being... Um, like explicitly strongly about messages of feminism. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's ultimately where I land with this one is that it's definitely not anti-feminist, but I don't know that the point of it is necessarily to be feminist. And I think that sometimes when I hear that question, is this a feminist book? Like when I say, yes, I want it to mean that the active point of it 
is to be feminist, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that a lot of the stuff we read ends up in that sort of gray area where it's like feminism is a part of this, but it's not the entire point of this. Yeah, I think for me, and I don't know because I'm still actively, I change my mind every single episode on what I, I know. <laughs> what I think about this question. But I think for me, like in the point of this podcast is that specifically I want to look at empowered characters um, and woman characters who I think are perpetuating feminist ideals. So like when we look at something like Age of Innocence, that I think for me was really hard because there weren't really any uh, in the chapter that we were reading, there weren't really any empowered female characters. There was like one female character and we only got her from a male lens and it was in a really disempowered way. I think I want to look at it from like multiple female characters who are empowered, like not just one. It can't all just be about her relationship with a man. And yeah, yeah and, and like this does have a uh, a love interest component to it, but at the end of the day, it's just like two wacky woman characters who are both badass in their own right. Yeah, and like the man isn't the center. Like, yes, they have to save him, and he's there, but he's nowhere near. Especially because Power Girl just doesn't want anything to do with him. He's like nowhere yeah. near the center of this story. Yeah, and in some ways, he's actively the damsel in distress yeah. the entire time. You know, like they they flip that gender trope in a way that's very satisfying. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know. I just sometimes find that question to be more <laughs> difficult than other times. You know, sometimes it's just worth talking about. And I think also for our listeners it's worth actively acknowledging the fact that when we answer that question sometimes sometimes our definition of, of what that means is different week to week and like also between just how you and I think about it. Yeah. So, and we encourage you to let us know what you think. Like if you think a story is feminist or not feminist, like tell us, we'll read your answers on air. If you want us to, (laughs) we would love that. But yeah, I think that the point is to like, keep questioning it because this is, I mean, feminism shouldn't, but that the idea of feminism is so vague that it automatically becomes abstract. And like, what we're doing here is working with abstractions. Like we're reading a lot into, we're reading a lot into texts that probably weren't meant to be read that much into. So like the whole point is to open up a dialogue though, and to talk about these things. And we have to allow for the abstractness and like Maggie and I are human. So our opinions do change quite a lot. My opinions change every fucking episode. Yes, frequently. (laughs) Frequently. Um, Okay. What are you reading right now, Mags? Oh wait, do we have homework? Do we have homework? <laughs> I don't I don't I don't think I do to be honest after this one. I'm just so relieved that we're not talking about fucking superheroes anymore after this. I think do you yeah, we're done. We're done with superheroes. That's not true actually. We're reading a book in May called Not Your Sidekick. That is a superhero story. True, but at least it's not in like it's like a <laughs> traditional novel format. Which I think for me means that it's more likely to be successful. I think my homework is, um, I, I kind of have this a lot, but I think I'm going to specifically, in light of this very sexual novel, like reevaluate my kinks because they have changed and reevaluate my um, relationship to them in relation to like my feminist ideals. Very nice. Yes. That's a good piece of homework. What are you reading? <laughs> so I'm still reading Guinevere, Queen of the Summer Country, because I think because I don't particularly like the book that much, but like I'm invested enough to know what happens. It's like been kind of hard for me to pick up and read. And also because 
I'm like a little bit anxious about all the coronavirus stuff. I've started knitting and it's really hard to read and knit at the same time. So I've been audiobooking a lot. Um, and I just started uh, a book that will be, or I'll, I don't know, we haven't decided yet, that we'll be talking about on the podcast, though, with my mother. Um, it's the Ani DeFranco memoir, A House with No Walls. So that's that's where I'm at. What about you, Maggie? <laughs> uh, I'm just disappointing all around. I'm actually between stuff because I finished a book last night and then spent most of today dealing with this. Um, but I think that my next read is either going to be Gideon the Ninth, which is like cool LGBTQ necromancer stuff, or Dominicana by Angie Cruz, which is more of like a, a literary fiction situation about Latinx identity. Ooh. So I don't know. I don't I don't know which one like sounds better to me right now. One is significantly shorter, which might hold <laughs> some pluses, but we'll see. The world's my oyster. You, y'all will probably find out depending on what I post on Instagram today. <laughs> yeah, follow our Instagram. It's fantastic. Maggie is an artist. When the pictures are slightly less good, it's usually me. Matt, actually, sometimes we play a game, my partner and I, where we go through the Instagram and he guesses which ones are um, Maggie's. And whenever I take a good picture, he thinks it's Maggie. And I'm like, no, Matt, <laughs> that was me. I did that. Maggie couldn't That's do it that perfect. day. <laughs> Yes. That's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. We will see you next week where we actually have something special going on because we are going to be talking with the two of the three wonderful creators from Recipes to Take Down the Patriarchy. So look forward to that. A little bit of a different situation because it's a professional interview and not necessarily like... um book reviews like we typically do yeah yeah not necessarily (laughs) us fucking around for an hour definitely um but yeah look forward to that it was a really great conversation and we really support their project so yeah and now like this is a good project for you all to support too because we'll all be in our houses until fall and you know you can get cooking with some great like anti-patriarchy um recipes yeah for sure all right we'll see you next week bye Bye! You can follow us at Rebel Girls Book Club on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Days. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously. Oh, all the